Due to unforeseen circumstances, we will gladly be returning to Hebrews chapter 5 today. <clears throat> Just know that you have been given a little uh, indicator of where we will be next week in your bulletins. Uh, Brother Charlie couldn't be here. Well, he had to go home. Thank you, Brother James. And take care of uh, Miss Cheryl, and uh, he called me just uh, just a few moments uh, before Sunday school was over, and asked that we would consider moving the service back till next week, and I gladly obliged him. And so I, I would ask also for your for your leniency and and mercy, and the fact that I did not bring my notes for for uh, next week's sermon. Of, I have a partial copy, but I have certainly read it uh, several times throughout our, our study in, in Hebrews uh, that we started back in 2019, early in the year. So we're there again this morning in Hebrews chapter 5, and we'll be concluding the chapter. And I, I think you will find it's been a marvelous chapter, uh, many wonderful things have happened uh, in Hebrews, and, and I believe that the most important thing about Hebrews is the very beginning. Uh, with an understanding of this particular book, we see that God's intention from very verse 1 of chapter 1 has been to describe to us Jesus the Christ. If we only had one book of Scripture, I believe two things. One, that any one book could describe to us the salvation that Jesus Christ has provided in his blood. But I also believe that as we look to the book that we will always, secondly, see Jesus Christ if we have the, popular, uh, the proper excuse me, uh, view, that is, of what the scriptures are and of who the scriptures are. That being uh, the Christ, the Jesus whom we have heard so much about throughout the Gospels in the New Testament, and then as we have been told and prophesied in the Old Testaments of this particular Savior, we have seen Him come, and now we understand that every word is about Him. In fact, John the Apostle says that in chapter 20, that, that the books of the world and everything in the universe is really what He is describing, cannot contain all that Christ has done. And it, it just so happens to... Uh, to shed a little light into next week's sermon, we'll see a particular verse uh, that declares the truth of, of what John the Apostle had said about Jesus there in uh, those closing statements that he makes, that this book is written in John to uh, describe to you the life that Jesus Christ has led and that he is giving in his death, that you may believe and have life in his name, and I think it's interesting because we come upon next week, and I hope to disclose it, and it'll be just as sweet to those who love Christ next week as you're hearing it for the second time as it would be today. But he talks about uh, a statement that Jesus makes, and when he describes the words, he says, just as Jesus said, and I, I don't want to reveal it all to you, but the passage will deal with something that Jesus is regarded as saying, yet we have seen it nowhere else in Scripture. And when we look to that and realize that Jesus has said this and that those of the church, and, and we're talking about in regards to elders and leaders in the church because that is what uh, the sermon is talking about, that we should... Uh, Lord willing, here next week, it's talking about the duties and responsibilities of elders. It's talking about what Christ has done. And he references something that Jesus has said that the people are familiar with, yet 
We don't see it anywhere else in Scripture. Why is that? It's because of the truth of what John says, that Christ has done so much and has said so many things that uh, the world cannot contain them all and the world will never exhaust all that Christ has been and all that who he is and all that he has done and all that he is doing and will do in the church. And I think that that's important that we take that particular perspective of Scripture, that we be molded by it as we move forward in chapter 5 and that we see Christ's sufficiency throughout the Scriptures and that these things are written that we may look like him, that oftentimes I've I've, uh, considered how wonderful it would be to be confused with Christ, that people would see Christ so well in me that they would confuse me with one who might actually be holy on his own. And I don't say that 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 we should desire self-righteousness, but that we should so desire the righteousness of Christ that others will see him and quickly forget us and uh, constantly remember him. I want to begin after such a long prelude, I guess you would say, an entrance into the text. I want to begin with reading uh, in verse 11. It says, concerning him, speaking of this Christ, we have much to say, and it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God, and you have come to need milk and not solid food. An indictment to the church, an indictment to believers. And though it seems that it may be geared to a certain number of individuals, I would say that this is an indictment that we should all consider that we not find ourselves in the place of needing milk rather than solid food. And the Scripture continues, For everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is an infant. But solid food is for the mature who, because of practice, have their senses trained to discern good and evil. not accustomed to the word of righteousness. The entering clause of the passage, for he is an infant, but solid food is for the mature who because of practice have their senses trained to discern good and evil. Let's pray. Father God, as we uh, come before you this morning, Lord, we do so uh, in adoration and praise, Lord, and uh, the faithfulness that you have given us to assemble with your body, Lord, uh, both that being Christ himself, present in spirit, Lord, and with the body that is the church that belongs to him, the, the great bride, the bride that we sang about, that he has redeemed, that he has set apart from himself, that he has caused to be holy, that he has called out of darkness and into light. Lord, we thank you that well, we could be a part of that body, Lord, that that uh, sweet union, an eternal union that cannot be thwarted by Christ's enemies, nor can it be uh, weakened, Lord, by the flesh, but that it may be strengthened in spirit by the word that we have before us. Lord, we just pray for those who can't be with us this morning. God, we pray that you would minister to them, Lord, that they would find themselves absent, though present in the word that they would see their Savior this morning, Lord, that he would be glorified and high and lifted up, Lord, shining in his uh, majesty and all of his attributes that make him uh, nothing less than God, Lord, but that he also be man, that he would serve as this great high priest that we see. Lord, we just thank you for the text and ask for your great spiritual blessings upon it this morning as we read. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We cannot consider verses 13 and 14 with the out beginning as we did with verse 11 and seeing the purpose of Jesus being the Christ. That in the purpose that is the will of God that we see 
God made flesh, God coming as man in the person of Jesus, and that that purpose is indeed infallible, that he will accomplish what he has set to accomplish, that he will certainly bless those who belong to him, and that he has provided for us that much-needed holiness and righteousness, that guarantee, that eternal security, if you will. And what we are dealing with as we go back with that is the fact that these things exist, yet at the same time there can be some level of spiritual immaturity. Indeed, I would say that because the text is written as it is, that it is presented to the church and it is presented to you and I this morning because spiritual immaturity is not something that could happen, but something that does and will happen. There is a warning in the passage for the church to consider spiritual immaturity something not to be okay with, not something to be content with, but something that we should desire to put off just as much as we would sin. In fact, spiritual immaturity is likened here unto a babe, and I presented it last week that nobody likes being called a baby when we're kids and we're playing on the playground and maybe we push somebody a little too hard or we trip somebody or we hit them with a baseball or any number of things or maybe you can remember back when kids were uh, kids and little boys were more manly they would play dodgeball and you would throw one and you just you try to hit them as hard as you could you want to knock the breath out of them take the head off if you could and if somebody cried the first thing you say is you're acting like a baby you're acting like a baby and this morning the penman of the hebrews is revealing the fact that oftentimes Christians are wanting to play, uh, if you will, in a big boy man game and they are acting like babies. The truth is that you may act like a baby, but the consequences are that of an adult. Spiritual immaturity and sinfulness ends with death. Whether it be the death of the body that leads to uh, the everlasting life with Christ for one who is truly saved or being the death of the body that ends with the wrath of God in the next life. That is the reality, the one of two events that will take place at the end of this life. The penman is encouraging us to consider the milk of the word as needful yet not sufficient for adults. Something as with the last spanking at a birthday party, one to grow on, if you will. And in that, it, it sounds like such a, uh, a childish analogy, but I, I wonder where it came from because we you know, have ten birthday whoopings for a nine-year-old and the last one's the one to grow on. And to me, there is some spiritual truth in that, that the discipline of the Lord comes in a way that may not feel so great sometimes as we move from milk to meat it's not always pleasant there is soreness involved there's uh, some great growth to be had and we associate that with growing pains in the physical and in the spiritual i would say that there is even more so that particular evidence as we look from those who have been revealed, the Christ who is saved. Like again, next week we will see that there are those who come in after the gospel of Christ is preached to the churches and they come in after Paul and the other apostles and they say, this sounds wonderful and we haven't preached it before, but okay, yes, the Christ is necessary, but you must also keep this Mosaic law. And what we're talking about this morning is in consideration of spiritual immaturity is that these things, though not expressly speaking of false prophets who will come in and, and try to get you to return to Judaism, although that is what has happened, that is what is the, the problem with the church, we will see that moving from spiritual milk to meat is indeed uh, that same answer to the false prophet by which we may begin to discern the things of Christ and not return to the old and and the meat is whereby now we know that Christ is saving us and we will dig deep into that and we'll study that and we'll try to find out those 
deep, intricate mysteries of the cross that cause us to see the difference between the law and the gospel. That is the lifelong battle for the Christian is to see grace where the law is present, to see where Christ is, where sin is present. It's amazing that sinful human could go to heaven and be with Christ and count it as righteous. And I thought about it this morning, as we'll see in this particular scripture, some of these principles that will come out. The idea behind serving Christ and serving the church is not because if you sin, uh, being a believer, that you might lose your salvation, but it should be altogether embarrassing spiritual immaturity. It is if, as we read this morning, that he could come at any time and any moment, and who wants to be caught asleep? In fact, this life is called a labor for the one who is still living, a labor in which we are not afforded off time, although I do believe that the Lord spiritually grants us a 15-minute break like what we would have in the workforce, and that is a time not to sleep but to prepare. That is what the Word is dealing with this morning in verses 13 as it moves into Verse 14, to be prepared spiritually for the things that Christ has given us. Uh, I guess the, the best word is the material, the syllabus, if you would. Here we're looking in verse 14. We want to move from the, the milk uh, and from the one who is not accustomed, it says, to the word of righteousness, the infant, and to the meat. And it says, but solid food. Solid food this morning is for the mature, for because of practice have their senses trained to discern good and evil. A lot going on there, a description of the Christian life, and what we see is solid food. You know what's great about the solidity of what is being presented here is that when something is solid, it doesn't easily go away. It isn't easily also digested. It isn't quickly exposed as waste. Solid food is something to linger on, something that will last. You know, you can think about when you're growing up, your mom will give you a snack. There's certain things she won't allow you to eat before dinner because she knows it will spoil the meal, and solid food is the meal. That's why your mama won't give you a whole sandwich between lunchtime and dinner. It ain't happening. The, the word this morning is calling us to look at solid food, those who would call themselves mature and those who would be mature. It is your duty to be prepared for the next meal. How do we do that? Well, we prepare for the next meal by taking this one and chewing it over and letting it fill us, this word of God, so that we will desire the next. In fact, if you think about it, as it is speaking in terms of food and meals and nourishment, the person who has gone off of food, the person who has gotten sick and is no longer hungry, they sort of lose their appetite. Word of God is cautioning, and cautioning us to make sure that we have moved from milk to meat and that we maintain an appetite for God's Word. Verse 14, it says, but the strong meat, the solid food, is for the mature. This is the great things about the gospel, the things that have yet to be revealed. That is what we are digging for. Listen, if we, if we take the mindset that we know it all, we are in danger. That is pride. We think we stand and we may fall, in fact. If we think that we have... Uh, extracted everything that is needful from the scriptures. And that is what the penman is dealing with with these Hebrew people here. I profess Christ and that's good enough. On one hand, it, it is. On the other hand, it may not be because uh, a true profession for Christ will cause one to hunger. A true love for Christ will cause one to feed. And here it says, this is not for just anyone. 
This is why I believe it melts so well with the text that we'll deal with next week in considering elders for a church because we're talking about men who have proved themselves and proven themselves and that we're able to see that they are mature. That is why it's not okay for a new believer to serve in these positions and offices because we don't know what they're feeding upon. And we don't know if they can handle it. We don't know if they can discern. We don't know. There's no history there. What a true Christian will have at death will be a history of walking with Christ. I believe the Word declares that and is showing us what that will look like in practice. We are seeking as mature Christians, or we should be seeking the solid food that is the deep mystery to be revealed only in digging for Christ, only in seeing Christ in His deity, seeing Christ before the cross, on the cross, and after the cross for what He is doing in Hebrews chapter 5, serving as prophet, representing God to man, as it declares. Appointment that is given from heaven, that is fulfilled by the one who is in heaven, seated where he is uh, declared to be seated there in chapter 1, on the right hand. Do you notice how all of these things are coming together because we're now seeing that the solid, mature food is declared in verse 1 in Hebrews? He is the food. He is the feed. He is the the intricacy of the gospel he is the simplistic portion of the gospel he is the culmination of everything in it he is every sum and he is every part of the gospel there is no good news apart from christ and there is no solid food apart from christ listen doctrine without christ is not solid food it may look like meat but it's a spiritual spam if you will what a great name for a a meat substitute that looks like solid food but isn't much to be had. Comes in a can so it will hold its form, I believe. That is what doctrine looks like apart from Christ. That is what uh, the world would call solid food that is indeed a substitute and not a good one. I would present to you this morning that The word is very clear. There is no substitute for a Christian meal other than Christ and his gospel. It says here that this is the high mystery, those things that cannot be understood if you would understand the maturity aspect of this verse. It's what cannot be discerned by the natural man, what cannot be revealed even by a good teacher, by a good preacher, by a great elder or a good team of evangelists. They cannot reveal the word that is the meat for mature Christians because it can only be revealed from heaven. In fact, we are merely instruments of Christ to present that meal, to uh, steward, if you will, those sheep to shepherd them toward the table that they may hear the word and he would feed it proceeds from the mouth of god and it is entering into the man by god's will and god's will alone you can study all the books that you want and you can read all the articles and the excerpts from experts and from evangelists and from theologians but it will do you no good unless the food for the mature christian comes from on high at which point now we have multiple levels that we must deal with because if we are to feed upon this meat this mature food from heaven we must also not listen like children we must listen like grown men and women we must listen as Christ has called us that we would hear his voice and that we would know the good shepherd and that another we will not follow. And that is exactly where the verse is going because it says something of practice and something of training and something of discerning because we are listening to Christ because we have listened to Christ and we're listening more today than we were yesterday and more tomorrow than we are today. That is the desire of the Christian, of the mature Christian to understand these mysteries of God and to know that no one can reveal them but God himself 
the person of Jesus Christ. That is, in fact, uh, the opening line of Hebrews. No other way can you get the meat. No other way can you find the nourishment. No other way will you be reached with the gospel. Listen, programs won't do it. Prayers don't do it. Giving doesn't do it. Service to your fellow man, and heaven forbid you think wearing a mask does anything for Christianity, does anything for your witness. But what we do for Christ is that we serve others, and I believe Paul makes a great case as he's describing his service as an elder, as a, as a member of the church, that he is with all concentration and all diligence, giving his time to study and to the word and to preaching the gospel. He says, listen, I didn't even take your money. I didn't take your provision so as not to cause you to stumble. I am concerned with preaching Christ, and Christ is concerned with revealing himself in the preaching. No man can do those things. We have spiritual maturity that we are called to obtain and called to desire if you would turn to first corinthians chapter 2 want us to see uh, the declaration of Paul the Apostle in considering uh, this particular discipline that we must have as he moves through his letter to the Corinthian church from chapter 2 and then, <coughs> and then, excuse me, to chapter 14. As chapter 2 began, we have a description of Christ crucified. Look what he says, verse 1. When I came to you, brethren, I did not come with superiority of speech or of wisdom proclaiming to you the testimony of God. Not superiority, speech, or wisdom. He's talking about moving from milk to meat. And he says, For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Paul says, There's nothing that I can impart to you except that I know what Christ has done. I determined not to know anything other than Christ was crucified. And when he said that, he, he meant to take it a little further. And it is implied there that he knew that Christ crucified was for the remission of sin and that he is the only way. But you cannot come to the Father except that you know the Son. And he said, I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words because they don't do any good. but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men but on the power of God. The power of God is the truth of the gospel that is able to save. The Word that became flesh. Man who is God. That is the power of the gospel lies within the name Jesus the Christ. Then Here's what I want us to look at. It says in verse 6, Yet we do speak wisdom among those who are mature. He said there is a time when wisdom doesn't work. There is a time when uh, great persuasive words are powerless, rendered against the natural man and for the, the spiritual man who is becoming changed by God. I am feeding milk, but we do begin to speak the wisdom and the intricacies of God for those who are mature. A wisdom, however, not of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are passing away, but we speak with God's wisdom in a mystery. The very same mystery that we're talking about in chapter 5, verse 13 and, uh, 14 in Hebrews today. But we speak in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God predestined before the ages to our glory, the wisdom which none of the rulers of this age has understood. For if they had understood it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Verse 10 declares the truth of feeding on meat, for to us God revealed them through the Spirit. 
the Spirit searches all things. Text says solid food is for the mature. The Spirit who is seeking to find those who are in service to Christ, those who are yearning for taste, that wonderful taste that the Old Testament declares that we know that the Lord is good, thereby having tasted it. Then in chapter 14, verse 20, he says, Brethren, do not be children in your thinking, yet in evil be infants. But in your thinking, be mature. Do you see that we're called as a church to be mature? We should never be content with the state in which we come to Christ the first day that we profess uh, belief in the Lord Jesus Christ. That is, yes, indeed, if we are to find death, the next moment, indeed, good enough to be saved. But it should not suffice to nourish the faith and the spirit of a Christian. He says, this is not what we want. We want to be mature in thinking. In the law it is written, by men of strange tongues and by the lips of strangers, I will speak to the people, and even so they will not listen to me, says the Lord. So then tongues are for a sign, not to those who believe, but to unbelievers. But prophecy is for a sign, not to unbelievers, but for those who believe. Therefore, if the whole church assembles together and all speak in tongues and ungifted men or believers enters, will they not say, you are mad? But if all prophecy and an unbeliever or an ungifted man enters, he is convicted by all. <coughs> he is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed, so he will fall on his face and worship God, declaring that God is certainly among you. What a bad situation it would be if all Christians took the same attitude that many professing believers take today, that the milk was enough. What state would we be in if Christ only came and went to the cross and never said another word? Or if he never lived out his three-year ministry before men that we may see and have the biblical accounts that we do and he just went straight to the cross? Is his blood powerful to save? Absolutely. But there must be a reason for which he preached. must be a reason for which a man may go before the Lord and study and in earnest and read the meat of the word and take away from it something beneficial, that he may be changed as well by it, this solid food. Again, this is the Christ who is the manna from heaven. We talk about Christ and the fullness of Christ but the error on part of the church is that we have no desire to know what that fullness is like to know beyond the cross into eternity what Christ is doing for his people and what he has called us to do what he has called us to be any one of us would be embarrassed if we were caught sleeping on the job. Any one of us, I don't know if you've ever heard this, and forgive me if you think it's inappropriate, but I can remember grandmothers always telling their, their kids, this is what I, every grandmother I've ever heard of, per parents that are my, my parents' age say, my mom always used to tell me, if you're going out somewhere, wear a clean pair of underwear because if you get in a wreck for some reason, you want it to be caught clean. Isn't that what God is, in a greater, higher spiritual sense, calling Christians to be clean? That when I come, that you be well prepared, that your body uh, will live no longer, but your spirit is coming into heaven and it should be well equipped, be equipped because when you get there, there will be no spiritual milk, but there will be rejoicing and there will be testimonies of what Christ has done beyond what you have understood in the physical mind in this earth. 
There will be intricacies and mysteries of Christ that will be so great that you're, you will be astonished into eternity. Shouldn't we develop that appetite, this side of heaven? Should we not? He says, solid food is for the mature. You know what's even funny about it? And I can tell you all about it because I've seen it this week. Even babies want solid food. Babies want solid food. Babies choke all the time because they want solid food and they are not ready for it. And you know what the other sad part about it is? I'm guilty of it with my own child. Parents, those in authority, want the babies to have the solid food before they're ready. What are we doing to equip the saints in Christ? What are we doing to hold one another accountable? What are we doing as a church to praise the Lord and to worship the Lord this morning, but yet to understand Him in a way that we have not? Is there a desire outside of these walls to feed, or are we coming thinking, you know what, the pastor's going to spoon-feed me this morning. Sunday school teacher's going to give me an outline. It's going to be printed. I can pull it up later. I can, I can study it later. Or should we be so well prepared? We want to see if the pastor knows what we know. Shouldn't we? Shouldn't we have a, a great desire? And that's why I say all the time, listen, when we look at, at the prescription in Timothy for those who would serve as deacons and even more so as elders in the church, that is not simply for man uh, according to the sex. It, it applies to women, and it's not only for adults. Uh, it's for young people as well to desire to serve the Lord and be able, if never called, to serve in those positions. To be willing, to be loving, to be just as those passages call us to believe. We want to be well fed. Nobody wants to slaughter a calf or a pig or anything else that isn't well fed. When the Lord comes for his harvest, for his redeemed, I don't think he wants a bunch of malnourished Christians. I believe he wants us to be well fed, filled with his spirit. It says here that they are mature who because of practice, because of practice, this is a, a declaration to how one may become mature. It is not because you sit through enough services. It's not because your dad was a preacher or your grandfather was a preacher or because your mother gave a lot of money to the church or because you came on Sundays and Wednesdays or you led the singing or any number of things which you may think cause you to be mature. But he says because of practice. What are we practicing? Practicing worship. We're practicing study. We're practicing feeding. And how do you do that? There's only one way to practice. It's to do. You don't practice football by playing a video game. Paul says he's disciplining, disciplining his body uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. He says, therefore, I run in such a way as not without aim. I box in such a way as not beating the air. We practice by doing says because of practice they have their senses trained to discern good and evil what an interesting choice of words what a great excitement it is that we may practice listen anything that we practice for we like because it's getting us ready for whatever we're doing and we should enjoy that but too many times Christians are not practicing, or if they are practicing, it's with no intent to finish the race. Maybe with no intent to race at all. But here it says they're practicing, they're engaged in, they are doing simply. Not hearers only, but practicing, doing. Have their senses trained. What is the reality of having their senses trained? Well, we see that we have taken in a gracious habit 
bestowed upon us by the Lord Jesus Christ that we would practice righteousness, that we would desire holiness, and that we would serve not because we can, but because he has called us to and because he has enabled us to. And by doing that, it says that we can have our senses trained. Our senses will be well aware, if you will. This means that the gospel is an appeal to the spiritual an effectual appeal to the spiritual man that leads to the physical senses being altered, being stimulated. Again, I'll say it again, hearers only know, but doers of the word. How does that work? Well, you must first hear, right? And we hear, and after we hear through practice, our senses are being trained. What does that mean? It means now that what you hear as a Christian, I, I, I'm often reminded the passage that says, to the pure all things are pure. What we hear is pure. Why? Because to us there will be a testimony of Christ in it. Even when it's hard to see, we know that it's present. And then we think about the other senses, smell, well, what do we smell? We smell the sweet savor of victory in Jesus. What do we taste? We taste the goodness of the Lord in every breath, in every food, both spiritual and temporal. What do we feel? Why, certainly we feel emotion, but we are not led by it, but we feel led and compelled to preach the gospel because it has been effectual to us and it has saved. cause of practice our senses are trained we're listening we're looking listening for the voice of the good shepherd looking to the return of jesus christ looking for opportunities to serve one another and to serve christ looking for an opportunity to minister this gospel looking for an opportunity to show where grace abounds where the law could never move us to looking for the grace of God where the willingness of man has ended. All of our senses being stimulated so that we may be used by the Spirit not merely for our own benefit but for the benefit of Christ and His kingdom, for the benefit of the church as she would grow. What for? Why are these senses trained the last words hebrews chapter 14 declare the truth they're trained so that we may discern good and evil in a nutshell so that we may discern sinfulness good and evil sinfulness righteousness things that the natural man cannot understand. Indeed, the appeal in the text here is to those who would see the law as able to save with Christ rather than seeing the truth of the gospel that Christ alone is able to save in spite of your efforts because they are at best lacking. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. What is the what is the, the purpose behind feeding upon meat and by moving from milk into this good, hearty, nourishing word of the Lord? It's because doctrine is revealing Christ to us. Doctrine cannot simply be defined like theology, what we believe and why we believe it. It must first be said that doctrine is Christ revealed. Doctrine is Christ revealed. Nothing more, nothing less. Christ revealed. We can be saved without having a common uh, factor, a common agreement upon doctrine, right? Certain things we, we find are necessary. Certain things we love to a great deal. But what is necessary is to know that the milk is true, that Christ being 
man and God has gone to the cross, dead, buried, risen, and ascended, that he alone is able to save. And doctrine reveals to us things like sovereign grace, like election, like predestination. Does that mean that you're exempt from heaven if you do not understand every doctrine that we hold to? Absolutely not. Does it mean that you cherish Jesus Christ more? Absolutely. Because you see just how far short you are. In fact, when we are able to see Christ better, I believe we are also able to see ourselves a little better. Christ is repairing in a spiritual sense our vision as we are seeing how glorious he is. We are seeing just how far, far short, excuse me, we are falling. Kind of like you see somebody jumping a motorcycle or something, they come a little short and you think, man, they should have stepped back and looked and seen what I saw. They were never going to make that. That's what the gospel of Christ is revealing. You would never make it. Your own holiness, your own morality, these things are uh, of no use to you. In fact, if you're trusting in the law, if you're justified by it, the Bible says, then Christ is of no effect. But here it says that uh, feeding upon the Lord causes the senses to be trained to discern good and evil. Not to do good or evil merely, but to understand good and evil. To understand good and evil can be simplified as, as to this. To understand eternal Christ and to understand sinful man that's all it is good and evil there's the difference to see christ or not to see him christians should be called because of practice and because of training to see this christ and to discern good and evil for the good of the kingdom of god because it is a testimony as to what he is doing a christian is to live a, a wholesome life is to live a, a life of sanctification desiring the things of the lord to be enlightened if you will in mind to be discerning if you can of of the word to understand today what you did not understand yesterday and to know that if you do not to return to it the answer is there Christ is there. It's been told to me by someone we all know that some people have mentioned when this particular person has preached or taught, sometimes I think you see Christ in places where I don't think he is because I haven't seen him. And on the surface, as a minister, it can be uh, very hurtful for someone to say that because you feel like you haven't done a, a good enough job. On the under, other hand, it's a wonderful blessing because the person has just revealed the truth of this statement that we must be earnestly contending for the faith that is the meat, that is the nourishment in Christ, that we don't see him there, but we know he is. What a wonderful thing to understand. And when they said that, it, it may have been a blow to this particular person, and it may have been meant that way, but it was a spiritual revelation of the condition of the Christian. That there is yet things to be understood. There is yet still good and evil to be discerned. How may it be done? Simply by feeding upon Christ. Simply by moving to solid food. Many times we know of people that want to be like this particular wonderful Christian. We all have it. We have favorite pastors, favorite evangelists. And we love them. We want to be just like them. Well, guess what? If they're worth their weight in salt, it's not because they are great or because they've been given TV time or air time or because they've written a book. It's because they are striving with the Lord. We want to be like them. We must first want to be like Christ. Church is called to doctrine, to deep theology, to the mysteries of the gospel through the sufficiency of Christ, through Christ alone. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you, Lord, once again, uh, considering your word, Lord, 
knowing that it is nourishment, knowing that Christ is nourishment to our navel and marrow to our bones, or that he is the increase and the giver of it, or that we may never be sanctified, never be holy, never be righteous apart from his work, or the work that has begun as you declare in Christ and will be perfected only in Christ. Or maybe this morning see that our own effort is like truly filthy rags without the evidence of the Savior, without the, the call of our Savior, without the flock moving and grazing according to his declaration, according to the voice of our good shepherd. Lord, may you open our, 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 our ears, our hearts, and our minds to hear his voice. Lord, we ask that you would receive our worship this morning, that our assembly, Lord, will not be in vain or through repetition, Lord, but out of a great desire uh, to do as we have been commanded. Lord, and to be uh, open to the things of Christ and to be spoken to by his word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.